following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Our Father, hear us as we uh, pray. We need You. God, my, my hope is that every one of us in this room understands our deep need of You, that there wouldn't be any self-sufficiency there wouldn't be any thought in this room that we can make it on our own but God that we are desperate in need of you Father help us to cast aside our pride in this moment to do to ask you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves to bring us closer to you to give us an assurance of who we are who you are what this life is all about Father thank you for forgiving us our sins we confess them before you now and ask that nothing would hinder our time together in your word instruct us in your ways we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ Amen Amen Good morning Harvest Let's take our Bibles right away and turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's hear the Word of God uh, right out of the gate, okay? Does that sound good? Luke chapter 1, we're going to read 5 through 25. And this is the narrative. I hope you can listen while I'm just uh, still getting you to turn in your Bibles. Um, But this is the narrative of a couple that has a deep, deep, personal heartache that God allowed and even ordained for them to go through. And it's the narrative of their faithfulness uh, in that and through that and how God came through for them. That's what we're going to read. And so this is Luke chapter 1, uh, 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, uh, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by law to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Uh, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Here's what, I mean, there's so much that grips me about this passage, but here's what really grips me about this passage. God responds to the heartfelt prayers of his often challenged people, his often despairing children. He responds to those prayers. He hears and he answers us. Now that we are often despairing people is really no surprise. Some of you have even come here today despairing. That part's not a surprise to us. But but that God responds, that God hears, that He answers us, that He responds to us, that He cares for us, that He loves for us, loves us. That's the part that can be a bit of a challenge for us to really grasp. I'm not sure what your prayer life is like, but this passage is, it's about a lot of things, but it's undergirded by this whole idea of prayer. And when you're in that despairing place, when you are lacking hope, when you can't see an end to the difficult days that you're going through, how do your prayers really connect for you? Do you really have a sense that God is hearing you, that he's, that he's inclining his ear towards you, that he's really desiring to respond to you in a way that would be favorable? I'm not sure what your prayer life is like, how effective you think it is, what you think of God's responses to you. I'm not sure where you're at right now. I'm, I know of some deep heartaches in this room, but I I don't know most of your heartaches. I don't know the trouble that you're facing. Or the trouble you're going to face if if today just happens to seem like a, a really good day for you. I don't know if you're carrying a heartache, but here's the great news. God knows. I'm sure of that. And He does respond to the heartfelt prayers of His often despairing people. That's the truth that we're trying to drill in today. Because if you don't need it right now, you're going to need it. And we need to see in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth how God does indeed respond to us. In those first few verses, 5 through 7, the first paragraph in your Bible, you see that they're carrying around this deep heartache, the kind that really never goes away. And yet, they were also very faithful to the Lord. 
And so we'll see, first of all, this, that we can be distressed and yet continue to pursue his righteousness in our lives. Before we unpack their distress and their blamelessness, let's understand from verse 6, take a look at this. Uh, They were both righteous. Here's the phrase I want us to think about first. They were both righteous before God. They were both righteous before God. If you um, translate this differently, it would be, uh, they were both righteous in God's estimation. In fact, the literal phrase from the original language is, in God's opinion... In God's opinion, they were both righteous. How many people in this room, you would just say, I am fairly susceptible to the opinions of others about me. You would just say, that's you. I I really care about what other people think of me. Don't be bashful. See, right now you're afraid of what people think of you if you raise your hands. Are you not? Let's try that again. How many of you would say you're really afraid of what other people think of you? Okay, that's way, way better. And uh, I think more highly of you now, just in case you care, uh, that you actually went ahead and raised your hand that second time. And um, true or false, um, my opinion doesn't matter when we know God's opinion. That's true. I mean, if we have God's opinion about something, it does, with all due respect to you and how smart you are, how much of life you've lived and your perspective on things, with all due respect to that, uh, my opinion doesn't matter, your opinion doesn't matter when we have God's opinion about something. And, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, according to God, were righteous people, blameless people, walking in all the commandments and all the statutes of the Lord. When we have in our hands what God has said about us in His Holy Word, we don't ever need to be feeling the weight of what other people think of us. Now this is important. Because Zechariah and and Elizabeth were facing this. They were facing the crushing burden of what other people thought about them. And I know there are people in this room who you do struggle with this. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I stand up in front of you and there are lots of people who have opinions about me. And no pastor would ever survive his calling if he gave himself over to what other people think and didn't root himself completely in what God thinks of him. But it's not just a plague of pastors. It's something that can crush anyone. It was crushing Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were living with the shame and the stigma in that culture of being childless. That culture had put their particular brand of distress on them. In that culture, people believed that if you were not fruitful, if you did not produce babies, if you did not have children that you could pass a legacy on to, that you had obviously sinned, that God had put a curse upon you so that your womb was closed. This was an old couple. I don't know how old they were, in their 70s, maybe in their 80s. I'm 49 now, so 70 is kind of young. Um, you know, we keep moving that line up. They, this was an old couple. They were old. For decades and decades, they had endured the staring and the murmuring. 
the idea from all of their friends and family members that somehow they must have done something to tick God off. And that's why he never blessed them with children. God was, God was punishing them. That's what the opinion of the people were. And sometimes we can do this too, you know. Sometimes we look at someone's, let's just call them misfortunes or their struggles or their trials. They're just certain people in life. They never seem to get their feet underneath them. It's always one thing after another. It's just hardship after hardship. And we can default into thinking, why doesn't God bless them? Why aren't they experiencing the goodness of God? And it's just a very short leap from that question in our minds to there must be sin in their life. There must be something that they're doing wrong. Because obviously, when you're faithful to the Lord, God is faithful to you and He blesses you. That's the math that we want to operate by because we live in a culture where if we work hard for something, we get a blessing off of that. We get a, we get a, we get a pop. We get a, uh, uh, something that comes back to us, a gift. We earn it. But it's not God's economy, not, not even a little bit. One of the scriptures that was read here earlier during our worship time was from the book of Job. God had given him everything. God had taken it all away, save his own life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, the text tells us, Job did not sin against his God. He didn't. We know from Job chapter 1 that he was a righteous man. Yet God allowed these things to happen in his life for the greater glory of the Lord. And so, hey listen, cease and desist on the judgments about why someone's life is hard. Amen? I mean, we could end the sermon right there. That's a good message right there, right? I got a little bit more I want to say though. So we're going to keep going. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. How many people want that said about them? Yeah? I want that said about me. Now it isn't, by the way, that they were perfect or sinless, but that they were being faithful. I mean, God could say this about you. These were just human beings. They were under the curse of sin as well. Zechariah and and Elizabeth both needed to come to a place where they trusted in their God and were confessing their sins and, and... And in faith, believing in the promises that he had for them. And that's all this is really saying. They were growing in their relationship with their God. They were being faithful as best they knew how. They were experiencing the joy and the peace that come with worshiping worshiping him. They were consistent in their walk. They, They were people of integrity. That's really what this is saying. Not that they were perfect in any way. We too could have this said about us. See, they were pursuing His righteousness. That's the second part of what we're talking about here. But verse 7 drops the hammer. But they had no child. That's the distress. And it had marked their lives. I may not know what your distress is uh, this morning. Certainly there are those who would struggle with this issue in particular of childlessness. There's a lot of pain that goes with that one, but yours may be different. And whatever it is, 
God knows about it. He knows your heartache. He knows your hurt. He set out your path for you. And in the midst of it, though distressed by whatever it is today, um, continue to pursue righteousness. Continue to live for Him. Continue to open the door for Him to bless you in an extraordinary way. Believe what God says in His Word. Put your faith in Him and pursue His righteousness. Let verse 6 be true of you. And so recognizing that we have this distress, or we will have it at some point, we may also understand that disappointment may come our way. I mean, we may actually be disappointed with God and His choice for us, and yet, though disappointed, could we still be serving Him gladly? Could we continue to pour our lives out for others? Life seems quite normal for Zechariah and Elizabeth in verses uh, 8 through 10. We understand they were righteous. We learned a little bit about them back in verse 5, verse 6, their righteousness. Verse 7, their distress. Now verse 8, this is just like the, this is just Zechariah going to work. That's what verses 8 and 9 really tell us. Zechariah says, there's another day in their household. He's just heading off to the temple to work. While he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, this was his job, he was a priest. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Verse 10 says, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside. This was a thing for the Jews, a part of their uh, liturgy and their uh, faith expression. Now context, historically here, this is important that Uh, This was going on, and Zechariah is in the temple, and he's praying for the people. He's doing his official duties. But it had been 400 years uh, since this nation had heard anything from the Lord directly. Uh, 400 years. And this was a people who were very accustomed to hearing regularly from their God. That from the time of Moses, even prior to that, as the nation was kind of coming together, but certainly from the time of Moses, there had always been a prophet, sometimes more than one, who were speaking on behalf of God into the life of the people. Telling them things that were going to happen in future days. Some of those things still future to us. Uh, Sometimes those prophets proclaiming a truth that the people needed to hear in the moment. You need to turn. The way you're living is not right. God's not happy with it. Telling them and warning them about an exile that was to come because they weren't repentant for their sins. Then sending prophets to them while they're in exile to assure them that God's going to bring them back. That there was hope. There have always been prophets. But for four centuries now, there were no prophets. They hadn't heard from God at all, and they were just being asked by God to live faithfully in the absence of Him saying anything new to them, and they were just waiting and hoping. The last prophet, Malachi, had spoken some strong words to them, and that would have to do until those words would be fulfilled and the Messiah would come. The Jews had not really known any independence. They hadn't 
experienced much in the way of the blessings that God had promised to them as a nation, that they would be under Him and they would experience all this free-flowing blessing coming from Him. And instead, it was just a succession of foreign rulers who invaded and took over and ruled them and who exacted these taxes and oppressed the people and forced them into slavery. So they're waiting. They're waiting for the Messiah. On the day that Zechariah goes into the temple, it was a day like 400 years worth of days prior to that. He goes in to offer prayers that God would once again save His people. God, why are you silent? Why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you answering our prayer? Where's our Messiah? When will you save us? They had an idea that this Savior would be a warrior king who would come and save them from the foreign oppression. They had that a bit wrong. And even though they had that part not quite right, they were still being as faithful as they could possibly be in the face of the seeming hopelessness and the non-response of their God. Still being faithful, still serving Him still worshiping their God, still walking with Him, still working for Him as best they could, waiting for Him to speak, to come, to change everything. Not unlike us. We receive the revelation of God. Uh, This is His prophetic word to us and we hold it in our hands. It's clear. It's easy to understand. We bear it in our hands and we preach it week by week. We seek to live it day by day, waiting, waiting, waiting. God, are you hearing us? You see what's going on down here? Are you seeing the tragedy? Are you seeing the heartache? Are you seeing the pain we're going through? You said your son is coming. Today? Maybe today. Some of you are so much in distress, you'd like it to be today, wouldn't you? Please, today, Lord. 2,000 years worth of days we've been praying and waiting. You can see how we could just Become a little disappointed in the face of that. So Zechariah was chosen, it says, by lot. Does anyone really think it was random? Is it okay to say that God rigged it? Really? I mean, I think God rigged this. So he goes in uh, to the temple to pray to burn incense, and burning incense was really symbolic of the prayers as a priest that was. Uh, what his task was. God wanted Zechariah to be the one in the temple praying that day. Because God was about to do the spectacular. God was about to fulfill all the prophetic words uh, that he had proclaimed earlier. And Zechariah needed to be the one who was in the temple. What was he praying when he was in there? What was his hard cry? You've got to believe that as a priest, he was crying out for his nation. 
That he was crying out once again for the Messiah to come. God, I'm, I'm here. I'm burning the incense. I'm praying to you on behalf of the people. That's my job. I'm a priest. I intercede for the people. God, we're desperate here. Come and save your people. Come and send your Messiah. Do you think he, do you think he prayed for himself at all? Do you think he had that in mind at all? Do you think he prayed for he and Elizabeth and their distress over being childless? Maybe. It's more than likely that by this time, Zechariah and Elizabeth were no longer praying for a child. That's how far their disappointment had gone. We see from the text that Elizabeth was past the childbearing years. Now, they believe the scriptures. We know that. They would have known the stories of Sarah, of Rebecca. They would have known the story of, of Hannah. Childless women who had a remarkable and miraculous uh, conception and birth. But there was no sense, there's no sense in the text whatsoever that Zechariah and Elizabeth believed in any way that they would be the recipients of of a special act of God. Zechariah was just in the temple, doing his job. And he understood what he needed to understand about his wife Elizabeth and about himself. That once a woman passes a certain year, when she crosses the great divide, that it's over. As painful as it is, maybe it's something they never even talked about. But both of them knew in their own pain and hurt that it was over for them. That nothing was going to change. The disappointment set in for them. Maybe that disappointment became a permanent resident in their hearts. I think we can be honest about that. That even if you're in a good place with God even if you could be described in that verse 6 kind of way, that you still may have some disappointment with God in what He's chosen for you. That it still may actually hurt a lot. That there's grief. That you're disappointed with God's choice for you. Even while you love Him, even while you continue to serve Him, there's a pain inside. And I can't promise you, because we're trying to be honest with each other here, I can't promise you at all that that's going to go away on this side of eternity. That disappointment may remain. God grieves that that has to be true of us as well. It's sin's grip on this world that's caused this kind of disappointment and heartache for us. Now, your issue may not be that of childlessness. Maybe it's a different issue. Maybe you've pleaded with God for a physical healing in your life. It's just not coming. God chose some kind of affliction for you or for a loved one, and you bear the, the burden of that. And, and God so far has said no to you. Or maybe you have a spouse who doesn't believe. 
and the dissonance that comes with that, with your love for Christ and he or she who doesn't and you're trying to live your life in your home and raise your children in a way that they would honor and respect the Lord and your spouse kind of wars against that and you've pleaded with tears. God, save him. Save her. God, I, I know you, you want this. Are you hearing me? God, do you hear my prayer here? I want this home to be about you. Maybe you have a loved one who's wandered away from the Lord. Maybe a child, a son or a daughter. They once professed and now they're a long way from Him and you've prayed with many tears for them. And so far it's only been silence. Maybe it's a loved one that you've lost. But you love them deeply. And they were taken from you in an untimely way. And you're disappointed. And that disappointment might be for a lifetime. You've prayed only to feel like God hasn't heard you. And I want you to believe this today. That God answers the heartfelt prayers of His often despairing children. He does. In His time and in His way, according to His will, you may be distressed and disappointed. But don't give in to the temptation to blame God or to reject God or to be angry with God. Because He's your only hope to make any sense of this whatsoever, at some point, it'll all make sense. Even if it doesn't right now. And in the face of trusting Him, then, then give your life in service to Him. Don't stop serving Him with gladness. Though I know that that can be really difficult to do. But keep at it. Because He is working His perfect plan for you. He is working in a macro sense. He's working His perfect plan for you. But in a macro sense, He's working it out in this world. And you have, even though you may not realize it, a part to play in that. The alternative, by the way, is disappointment without hope. And that's a different kind of despair. That doesn't end up in a good place. Zechariah and Elizabeth had a deep disappointment in life, and I, I wonder how many tears they shed. I wonder how much time they spent on their knees pleading with God for a child. I, I wonder how often they just held each other in silence. And God's silence toward them was never seen as a lack of love or concern on His part. They never saw it that way. They trusted Him. Their faith was intact. The Word of God confirms it. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of God. They continued to serve Him. And then this. Disappointment can sometimes kind of take us down the path of doubting. Serious doubt, yet crying out to him with resolve. As Zechariah is pray, praying here, he has what, 
what I would think, and this is in verse 11, he has what I would think would be one of these number one all-time coolest life experiences. Wouldn't you think so? I mean, there appeared to him, look at verse 11 now. Uh, There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. There appeared to him an angel. Now, if Zechariah were hanging out uh, back in his town with a bunch of new friends and they were doing this icebreaker game called Two Truths and a Lie. Anybody ever played this game, Two Truths and a Lie? Seriously, you people need to get out more. All right, so... (laughs) Get together with one another, have a little get-together tonight and play true truths and a lie. You tell two things about yourself that are true and one that's not true. You don't let on which one is not true. And then you kind of go around and you ask people, which one do you think is not true? It's just kind of a fun thing to do, notwithstanding the fact that thou shalt not lie. Um, but you kind of fess up on it pretty fun, for, pretty quickly. It is pretty fun to play. So imagine Zechariah is playing. You get the premise of the game. You got the rules down, two truths and a lie. The, the title's pretty self-explanatory. Um, so so, uh, so Zechariah's playing... This game with some friends, two truths and a lie. He says, yeah, um, my name's uh, Zechariah, and um, I'm, a, I'm a priest. That's one. I'm a priest at the temple. Uh, two, um, I own this really uh, sweet uh, yoke of oxen. And um, that's not one you hear every day, right? And then, and then he says, and, uh, and one time when I was in the temple, I met uh, Gabriel, the archangel. Okay, you're tracking with me now, right? You understand the rules? Okay, so like if you're playing with Zechariah, you're there in the room and, and he says these three things. Uh, which one are you picking for the lie? Yeah, Gabriel. You never met Gabriel? You, you never met an angel? He says, no, 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 man. I never owned any oxen. You see, I'm a priest and I did meet an angel. I mean, this is a pretty spectacular thing that happened to him. Everyone's thinking, hey, dude, that angel thing is totally a lie, but it's not. He met with an angel in the temple of God. Now, I'm thinking about some of the coolest things that have happened to me in my life. I'm going to score some points here in a second. I mean, my wedding day was... Right? Right? Good for me. I hardly ever buy her cards or flowers, so this is what she gets. So, um, my wedding day was pretty amazing. Yours too? Yeah. All right. Good points, Brian. Um, and, and then uh, my kids are here. Two of my kids are here. One of my kids are here. Only one's here today. But the birth of my kids was awesome. It was amazing to be there to witness all three of my children being born and to hear their cries. And it was amazing. But a lot of us have had these experiences. And so while they are pretty incredible, and I want to acknowledge how great my marriage is and how amazing I think my, my kids are, I think meeting an angel is kind of a different category altogether. True? Yeah, just admit it to each other. I mean, this is pretty cool. This is Gabriel. He hangs out, he said, in the throne room of God. I mean, I'd love to meet an angel. And uh, so this is a pretty spectacular thing. Uh, that's happening here. And uh, of course, uh, verse 12 tells us, because this always happens every time an angel shows up, pretty much. Uh, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I just wrote here that this is the standard biblical response uh, to the appearing of an angel. I mean, you test all the stories of meeting an angel, one that's really shown up in all of his glory, and uh, every time this happens, the person who's uh, there meeting the angel, you know, they kind of 
um, fill their drawers. I mean, it's that kind of, it's that kind of situation. PG-13. All right, so... So check out, so, so we have this encounter with the angel, we have the standard biblical response, verse 12. Uh, verse 13, of course, this is the standard response to that. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, don't be afraid. Zechariah, I love this, you can underline this phrase. Your prayer has been heard. Now that's awesome. God didn't just hear it. He actually sent a messenger to tell him that he had heard it. Your, your prayer has been heard. Now, my first question is, and I'm sure Zechariah's first question is, which prayer? <laughs> True? Which one? Because I've prayed a lot of prayers. And I want to know which one I've prayed. Now, maybe it just makes sense that... The prayer that he just prayed. Could we assume that? The prayer that he just prayed. And so we think about that and we go, well, could it be that prayer? He was likely praying for Israel. He was not likely praying for the child thing again because, I mean, they were in the stage where maybe they weren't even praying about that anymore. So it was a prayer for deliverance for the nation, maybe. Could we say it was both? Could we see that God is so awesome that he could actually answer both prayers at once? A prayer for deliverance for the nation and a prayer uh, from the desperate hearts of a childless couple. Maybe a prayer they haven't even uttered in years, but God still heard it. He logged it. He put a date beside it. I'm fulfilling it here. This is when I'm coming through for them. This is the thing that only God can do. To answer in a way no one could imagine. A child will be born. And he's going to be the first one to speak for God. The first prophet in 400 years. God's going to use him in an amazing way to announce the coming of the one who will save not just Israel but the entire world. An offer that stands for us today. Zechariah and Elizabeth cried out to God and he heard them. But having said all of that, because we want to be careful about what we teach here. Uh, this is not in any way a name it and claim it church. We don't teach that theology. We don't believe it's from the word of God. And so what this message cannot be is childless couples and desperate people here in situations of all kinds thinking that somehow if I just call it out, if I just ask for it, an angel's going to show up and answer my prayer. And maybe it won't happen for you in that way. It's always God's prerogative to answer, uh, his, uh, to answer these prayers consistent with His will and not ours. That's God's prerogative. I mean, there's no sense in the passage that if you do what Zechariah and Elizabeth did, then you will get what Zechariah and Elizabeth got. As hard as it is to say, uh, because I know some of you are facing deep uh, discouragement and disappointment with God, his choices for you. You still need to trust him. He may not answer the prayer the way that you want it answered. And that's where the doubt can begin to set in. Not just doubt about the answer to prayer, but doubt about God himself. See, the angel prophesies over Zechariah and Elizabeth at this point in uh, verse 14. 
This is the message that he bears. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Now you begin to see how ridiculous this is when you think about the birth announcement. We had a couple of, um, as Jeannie calls them, harvest babies born in the last week, I think. And uh, praise God for that. We've had a bunch born just in the last little while. We always announce those on our website. And, and, um, and it, this always happens. I'm on Facebook, so I see these baby pictures. They always get you know, popped up on, online, and you see them. And here's the happy couple. And sometimes they're like within like 60 seconds of the delivery. And, you know, sorry, but mom, you don't look that great, you know, in those pictures. Um, but, uh, but, you know, there's the baby, and then you see the, you know, another shot, and then there's the first family shot and all of it. So think about this in terms of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and here's what showed up on their Facebook page. Here they are. <laughs> Zechariah and Elizabeth, pleased to announce the birth of their first child, a son. They called him John, you know, weighed in at seven pounds, nine ounces. And don't they look like a happy young couple just holding their baby? I mean, you get a sense how stupid this is, right? To think about them. Imagine them in their village walking around with this stroller, right? <laughs> Zechariah with that backpack thing on with the kid back there like he's groceries, right? Like, I mean, it's just... Think about it. Or they get that special stroller with the, the running one, you know, where moms run, right? <laughs> I mean, you can understand why they doubt it. You can understand why they didn't believe that this would be possible at all for them. Now, I want to come back to this idea of doubt, but look at verses 15 and 16, because this is what the angel tells them about their son. He will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. I know, Mom, you all think your kids are special, right? Don't you all think your kids are special? John's a category up. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God from his mother's womb. And he will turn many, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. There's going to be a revival and it's going to be happening because of John's preaching. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. We're going to get families back together. We're going to get men responsible for their homes again. You don't think that this is intentional and this is where the burden rests? Husbands and fathers, you should read a verse like this and feel the weight on your shoulders. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is going to be some kid. And yet with this great announcement that's just come to him, he just goes and does his job on this day. An angel shows up while he's praying, announces the showing up of the angel is amazing, tells him he's going to have a baby, tells him he's not going to be just any baby. But he was so old. The disappointment was so great. He just couldn't believe it was true. The doubt had so gripped his heart. And so in verse 18, this seems ridiculous to us, but but maybe not if we were there. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Really? The translation, really? 
Do you know how old I am? Do you know how old Elizabeth is? Leads me to believe that she might have been older than him. Which may or may not be true in my marriage. I'm just saying. Whatever points I earned earlier, I just cashed in. So Zechariah asked for a sign. Because apparently an archangel showing up isn't quite enough. I love this quote, uh, Phil Yancey. Um, heard of Phil Yancey? Anybody love this author? I mean, he's spoken so much to me. Great author. He says, faith, is, faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. <coughs> and it doesn't make sense in the moment for Zechariah. He's got to get past that and have faith to believe that what the angel is telling him is going to actually happen. He's got to get to that place and look back and go, okay, I think this might make sense. It's, it's hard for us to even to conceive of this because we struggle in, and we already said this, but we struggle in the waiting. We struggle in the, in the trusting, in the having faith part. We struggle in the, can I leave it with God? Can I leave it with Him? Can I trust Him for a, a good result in my life? Can I put away my doubts and believe that God will come through for me? God responds to the heartfelt prayers of His often despairing children. Well, Zechariah had stepped over a line and uh, the angel couldn't let it go. So Zechariah ends up being disciplined and yet still enjoying the glory of God. I mean, that's, you could just write grace over that whole statement. That, that though we are disciplined of the Lord, uh, yet He loves us. In fact, it is because of His love that He does discipline us. And, and the gracious part of all of that is that even while facing chastisement from the Lord or correction from the Lord, He's still pouring out blessing and still bringing about His plan for our lives. So verse 19, this is after this statement of significant doubt on Zechariah's part. And the angel answered him, verse 19, Dude, I'm, I'm Gabriel. That's what he says to him. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I mean, Gabriel's tonality at this point has to be like, exasperation don't you think he's like like really really look at me i've got the glory of god beaming off of me i showed up in the temple while you're praying and you can't believe and so zechariah gets taken out to the woodshed so to speak and um And he gets disciplined by the Lord. Look at verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. That's the grace part, that last part. It's still going to happen, but because you were a bit of an idiot about it, you're not going to be able to talk to anybody. Um, 
of the, pe- the people who were waiting for Zechariah. So this is going on a long time, this whole conversation. It's longer than normal. They were wondering at his delay. He comes out, he's unable to speak to them. This is the consequence of his doubt. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and he remains mute. This is a nifty little trick, this mute thing. How many parents would love to have this ability? Right? The kids are like whining or they're like asking for something for the 100th time and you're just like, mute, right? And uh, I'd like this, like when I have friends over and they talk during a movie or television shows, I would love to have, just be able to go, mute, right? Just, this would be a handy tool and... um, Gabriel uh, uses this here. Zechariah is disciplined, and yet uh, he still gets to enjoy the blessing of what God is bringing about for his family and for uh, the world. This new movement of God that's going to come through uh, the arrival of Messiah. When Jesus comes, I mean, this is so incredible, the blessing that God pours out. Through a man who expressed doubt, his son would be the one who would announce the one who would give his life for us on the cross who would be risen to new life and who would be the Messiah, the one who saves for not only that nation, but for all those who would have faith in him. God working in an extraordinary way through extraordinary circumstances. And I just want to say that we lose out on the opportunity for God to do that when we bail out. When we allow Uh, the distress of our lives and the disappointment that sets in when we allow doubt to just root itself so deeply in our life and we seek to get out from the trial and God, I don't want to be here and get me out of here and I'm not going to be faithful to you and I'm pretty angry with you. I'm not going to serve you anymore. We get to that place. We're going to miss out on the opportunity for God to do something extraordinary through us. God calls on us in the midst of whatever the distress is to endure through it, to push through it, to persevere no matter what, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ through it all. Yancey again, here's another great line from the same book, Disappointment with God. Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. God, you can use this distress. You can use this difficult season of my life. You can use this trial to show your own glory. All those years of waiting for Zechariah and Elizabeth would result in the glory of God shining in the darkest of places. God took away the reproach. Last few verses. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, there's a lot that, that happens between 23 and 24 that you don't read in the text. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, I love this. And she's still just seeing the micro part of it. She, she doesn't really have a notion of all the rest of it. She, she's just seeing this part. The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from the people. There's no more shame. There's no more fear of what other people are going to think of her. God took it all away. And God will take that away from you if that's, if that's your story today. If the disappointment and distress is just so much. If, if the doubt is real for you. The offer that he's making today is that 
He's willing to take away your shame and your reproach if you'll trust Him. I hope it's been clear. But the thing that some here desperately need to know is that God responds to the heartfelt prayers of His often despairing children. God responds to you. He will hear those prayers if you'll trust completely in Him. Just bow our heads for a moment and I know there's some burdens in the room right now and I'd like to pray for you. I'm going to give us uh, just a moment here to pray in silence and just think about how how the Lord might be using this in, in your life. And then I'm going to ask you to do kind of a courageous thing. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are and just say, I'm in distress. I'm in a tough place. I am disappointed with God. And I'm not really in the greatest place with it. Would you pray for me that I wouldn't give in to the disappointment and the doubt? That I wouldn't need to be disciplined by the Lord, but that I would trust Him. Just take a moment to pray. Lay that before the Lord. And if that's your prayer, if that's what you're laying before Him, I'm going to ask you to stand. and Just remain standing and then I'm going to pray for you. God like Zechariah in the temple, who bowed before you, who burned incense, symbolic of the prayers of God's people being lifted high the people outside in the courts praying earnestly as he was in there God I pray on behalf of those who are bowed before you right now a desperate people a lot of heartache a lot of hurt some of them will last a lifetime some of them are not easily overcome it's hard to not give ourselves over to disappointment to doubt whether you actually love us God I would pray that you would do a a miracle here today do something extraordinary in the same way that you did it in the temple that day. God, we're not expecting an angel to show up, but Father, we know, we stand solidly on your word asking for your Holy Spirit to heal us and to fill us. No less a miracle. No less you showing up to do something that's extraordinary. God, listen to the prayers. Heartfelt prayers that are being spoken in this very moment. People crying out from their desperation saying they need you. Hear us, God. And answer us. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.